y'all. I wanted to give you a little heads up before you delve into this episode that you might hear a bit of snoring in the background. Um, Don't let it fool you. This episode is no snooze. That is just my Boston Terrier Bruno that decided to join me while I recorded this. And it was a bit hard to get him off my bedroom slash studio. So you're going to have a little ambience in the episode today. So enjoy, have fun, and let's see how many snores can you count on this episode. Welcome back to another episode of Notes from COVID. My name is Laura and I'm talking to you from London. Today is August 27th, 2020. Before we delve into the today's topic, I want to invite you to follow us on Instagram at Notes from COVID. So N-O-T-E-S from F-R-O-M, COVID, C-O-V-I-D. So that you can meet the people behind the stories. As well as to shout out to a mystery listener in Finland. Uh, I don't know anyone in Finland and somebody is listening from there. So I'm super intrigued. If you are listening, come say hi on our Instagram so that I know who you are. Um, Anyway, back to today. Last week, we heard how COVID basically wrecked the entertainment industry, but another sector highly affected and which we'll explore in the podcast was the hospitality industry. So restaurants, hotels, bars, you know, travel, you name it. So for today's episode, we have Fred Jensen, his founder of Greenhouse. Greenhouse is a restaurant focusing on making real nutrient-rich food to fuel your day and boost your energy. Fred's dream had only been going for about a year when COVID struck. So today we're gonna learn how he tackled this challenge so early on into his entrepreneurial journey. So welcome, Fred, how are you? Great, great, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to have you, yeah. So Fred (laughs) is in Belgium right now. Uh, He's originally from there. Uh, He's had some business meetings and whatnot, but he made the time to be with us today. So I appreciate that. Um, 100%. Yeah, so before we start going to COVID themes and whatnot, can you tell me a bit more about Greenhouse and your business? Yeah, Um, Greenhouse started about a year ago and it was based on um, a necessity to find better food and better salads in the UK. It it, it really started very simply in the sense that I craved really good nutritious nutritious food that you could get very easily on the street. And I I couldn't find companies that were 100% honest with what they served. And, uh, and I understood that for my own personal health, it was extremely important. So I decided uh, at that juncture in my life to uh, go and take a stab at it myself, essentially. And we created Greenhouse, which is essentially uh, our disruptive, healthy salad brand. And... <laughs> We we really wanted to make the the delivery very very special. So we set about creating quite the the special food mission by having nutritionists create salads that improve your brain function and performance. But we also wanted to deliver this in a in a package that does you well uh, from a visual perspective as well as to the planet. So it's, there's a lot of things to tell, but essentially it's a healthy food brand, healthy salad brand with stunning packaging that makes you feel much better tomorrow than it will yesterday. Yeah, and honestly, I mean, I haven't had the chance to try your salads because you're not in West London now. And not yet. I, 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 I always <laughs> see them on Instagram and I just drool, but also I have to vouch for the stunning packaging. It's out of the, like, it's really another level. So I invite <laughs> everyone to check uh, Greenhouse Instagrams. Uh, I'll leave it on, on the... Um, little description of the show so that you see it and you'll see it on our Instagram as well. Um, So great. So Fred, you had a year into your venture. What were the plans for 2020? Well, we had a lot of plans. Actually, we were, we were very lucky with Greenhouse because, you know, when you start something that you dream of for a while, you, the the first day that you actually launch, you're very scared. You're like, am am I crazy? Is this going to work? Um, Mm -hmm. And orders start coming in, people start giving you feedback. And to be fair, it, it went fast. And I, I'm super humbled at the success that Greenhouse has had since day one, to be fair. And well, based on that success and, and obviously not um, foreseeing anything that could stand in the way at the time, 
we we had made plans to expand very quickly around London to start with. So we, we wanted the, the biggest need that we had and the biggest feedback we had from our clientele was, when are you coming to this zone, right? We love your concept. We love your style. It looks good. Just what you said five minutes before. No. When are you delivering where we are? And so we set we set up to make a plan to to grow very quickly throughout London. And as soon as we opened our second kitchen a week later, COVID hit. Really. So. Oh my God! Talk about yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So wow. it was quite the surprise. I mean, for you and for all of us here, honestly. So, yeah. I mean, talking about uh, the elephant in the room, or well, not really. <laughs> we all talk about it. Um, did you give the situation any thought when news first started to come out of China? So, I mean, obviously, uh, I'm based in the UK as, as yourself, and, and things started really getting out of hand here in March. But we started learning about it back in January. So, did 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 this ring any bells to you was it something outside of london and not really relevant like what what was your head at then i think obviously i was aware of some of the headlines that china was making but at the time th this wasn't new right this is um it's not the first epidemic that goes out from china and i, I think usually they end up containing it quite well uh, and then you don't know anything about this epidemic. Like you hear COVID, but at the same time, in the beginning of this, we had no idea what COVID was. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I don't think I, I had imagined any ramification that could have gone and, and, and hit us and had such an impact um, just directly on the restaurant industry, on us and on our just daily lives. I, I had never, ever considered that whilst seeing these first headlines coming out of China. Okay. Um, but that obviously changed very quickly. <laughs> yeah, I think that, <laughs> that that was like a slap on the face too, for a lot of people, to not say everyone. So I understand that certain restaurants first felt the effects of COVID through their suppliers. Some people have thing, people that deliver from Asia or people that deliver from Europe. So obviously they started to see the effects of this prior and big things locally. So was this the case for Greenhouse? I think for us, it, it probably is a little different than many industries that, that import from far away. Um, most of our suppliers are local. And mm -hmm. so we were highly dependent on local laws. So I think people that had a supply chain that was somehow linked to China or dependent on China probably felt the, the, the issues very early on. For us, everything's made in Britain. Uh, and if not Britain, it's France or Belgium, and, but it's very close. And so it really took a while for the suppliers to start becoming short on, on certain items. Uh, but it really gave us a lot of time to adapt and adjust. And I think people were very understanding as well. If you ran out of a product because you didn't feel comfortable serving it or you couldn't get the right quality uh, or because just your supplier ran out or couldn't source it, I think people are very understanding that it's COVID. Obviously, we're already grateful that you guys are open. Uh, it's, it's okay if you're out of chicken for two days, right? Yeah, I I, I agree. I, I mean, it's it it we all know the struggle, so um, I guess it's good to have understanding customers. Definitely. Um, when did you realize that you were most likely going to need to close the operation, and what was going through your head back then? So obviously, you initially said. January, not a second thought about this, but when when did it hit you and what was going through your head then? I think we it was a really, really tough decision because at the time, obviously, you didn't know what was going on and, and you couldn't foresee things a week ahead. So I think our strategy was, was retreat to better understand. And we, obviously, the concern of our employees was, was number one and and you have kind of polar opposites in terms of needs and concerns in the sense that you owe it to your employees to create work opportunities so that they can bring money home and support their families and on the other mm -hmm. side you also want them to be super safe and unfortunately we realized that forcing employees to go to work in an environment that we didn't understand very well was just not safe and, and that was then for us 
kind of the, the guiding principle. Yeah, the guiding principle and, and, and the main reason why we decided to close until we better understood exactly how this got transmitted, exactly that we didn't know at the time if it was transmittable through food. Uh, mm -hmm. th there were some headlines here and there, but they changed every two days. And it was just a very awkward position to be in. So we figured out a way at the time, and this is before the furlough scheme came about. We just uh, talked to our employees and we told them, like, listen, we'll as, as long as we close, we will take care of your salary uh, at this stage and we will reevaluate in two months and see what happens. And we'll have a better understanding of what to do and how to adapt and and how to do things a little more safely. So then it became a no brainer. We could take care of our employees financially so they could take care of their families and we can make them safe. So we decided to just close because that was the better policy. Wow, no, that, that's that's really great. And I mean, I think also such a privileged position for you considering you've only started a year ago, right? I mean, not yes. um, you were you in a very blessed position because I, I, I can't imagine not every business would be in a position to say, hey, employees, I'll pay your salary. And also I can afford to close for a little bit, you know, so it, it's really great. Um, now, you mentioned that you didn't wait for the furlough scheme to kick in. Was this also before they said, hey, everybody close? Like, did you send the people off before official lockdown measures were in place? Well, I think we were lucky. I, I... We're lucky that we were small uh, and we were, we're, mm -hmm. we're a very highly efficient um, virtual restaurant. And the way we worked in the beginning just had a flexibility and, and, and agility. We worked with a lot of freelancers. There's a lot of chefs mm -hmm. out there that are very talented and took inspiration from the gig economy to essentially offer their services, but gain, still remain fully flexible with their side projects or their second job or whatever it is that they want to do. So. We worked with a lot of freelancers, which obviously um, was was much easier because we didn't have particularly a salary that they were counting on. They, they had options to bounce around and whatever. So mm -hmm. and then the other portion were um, direct employees and, and those we took care of uh, as best we could at the time. And we just um, so I think we were very lucky that we were small enough to be able to cover some of the costs. Um, and that the amount of employees that we had that were directly linked to our payroll was was uh, around manageable. 20%. Yeah, it was okay. very manageable. Okay, so nice. Lucky, lucky strategy that it paid off, I guess, to a degree. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> may, may, that that's a silver lining. Maybe initially you'd be in, in a non-COVID situation, like, okay, yeah, it's good that I have all these freelancers, but you know that maybe uh, the Bad, bad thing about that it could be like I cannot depend fully on them but now this is really great in a COVID world where I need to be flexible so yeah but good. We, we also decided to support them any way we can in the sense that a lot of the messaging that was out there to gain support from the government was extremely confusing mm -hmm. and not everyone has an accountant not everyone understands the, the just the financial directions that they need to take the makes their situation better so we offered our accountant services to ensure that even though people were freelancers with our company they, they could still either apply for universal uh universal credit or something else and we just helped them uh facilitate this information essentially so that they understood it better um no. but but to be fair i i think 100 of the people that worked with us have found stability and were able to up until today uh, go through it with with dignity and uh, and support their family. So that's that no, pretty happy and that, that that's really important. I mean, I think taking care of your employees is one of the number the number one priority of a business, at least. Uh, I agree. Now, uh, okay, lockdown started. Suppliers cut down their delivery schedules. I mean, we you told us that your suppliers are local, but obviously at some point COVID caught up with them. How yeah. did this affect your operation? I mean, as I said, sometimes suppliers, I think everyone was working on a skeleton crew and it was very tough for them to, usually when your suppliers went out of something, they take the time to call or send you an email or something. Uh, you know, th their employee base mm -hmm. disappeared overnight uh, and everyone went on furlough and, and it was just highly confusing for everyone. And when we didn't get a specific product or something, again, people were very understanding and we would make sure to communicate that forward 
in terms of suppliers, I, I think we benefited from great relationships that we had built with our suppliers and we were very close to how they operated and what and what they could do and what they could deliver because we essentially were on the phone almost every day. Um, do you have cucumbers? And they're like, yes, we do. Um, <laughs> so we, we, we kind of knew what to expect. And of course, they, the frequency of delivery was slower, but uh, we, we adapted as we needed to by storing a little bit more on our end. So for us, it, it went seamless. I, I think having local products really, really helps because it, it really uh, gives us a lot of flexibility. Uh, we onboarded different suppliers for different products at the time, uh, and, and we essentially played around with people's availabilities and, and, um, and, and ability. Um, yeah. So we didn't feel that too much. Thankfully. That you know what you uh, there's a there's a point that you you were just talking about and that that I just thought I mean it's nothing that I have planned but it's very curious how for example uh, COVID affected your operation apparently very minimal compared mm -hmm. to other people um, that you know so, so they rely on you know, so many suppliers from so many different places. And I guess this also highlights a bit of the importance to try to be more local, you know, not only for yeah. the environment, but at the end of the day, when situations like this happen, it's easier to depend on what you're counting on uh, yeah. rather than, you know, things that are imported from mainland Europe or even further away. So that's very, very interesting. And also that, that goes back to the essence of your business, which is, you know, greenhouse locally sourced ethically grown and all that and it just paid off basically yeah 100 percent. and i also think it's easier to source a tomato uh, even though your suppliers are overwhelmed you can go find a tomato somewhere else whereas if you have pre pre-made products and and you know which a lot of restaurants out there serve processed food pre-packaged food etc i think these are the things that were harder to find at the time because obviously the companies that were making that food ran out of staff etc cetera, etc cetera. And that's obviously harder to replace. So, you know, for us, we had a lot of alternatives because we work with root products and 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 just base ingredients, uh, and then we make everything in house. So, I guess for us, it was uh, a little bit better. I also think it was a very strange situation because usually in times of you know war and and, and massive um, you know, panic and crisis uh, as as the pandemic created. Um, you the supply chain is broken here the supply chain worked for the most part but the clientele evaporated so mm. we actually found that there was for a lot of suppliers the opposite effect where instead of running out they had way too much okay. and we actually saw suppliers because obviously the, if the clientele's disappear the restaurants don't order and then the suppliers are stored stocked with way too much stuff so like you had paper mm -hmm. good suppliers that had were overstocked you had uh, all the, the meat and veggie supplier, meat and dairy were totally overstocked. And, and obviously these are very sensitive products. Um, and, and you saw a lot of these suppliers actually go directly to the consumer. They opened up shop on Deliveroo and they started delivering their, their restaurant grade items. Uh, That's actually were, true. I, yeah. I, I delivered some of those to myself, <laughs> to my house. They were really good. So I, it was I, delicious. you know, yeah, I, I would get this box at Le Marché du Chefs, I think, and they mm -hmm. do this like high end restaurants and they they made a, a specialty box every week and they changed the the product. So the, the product was different every week and they had different type of meats as well. So, yeah, it's a very interesting point. So, yeah, mm. it was an interesting situation, I think, uh, for suppliers and restaurants at the same time. Uh, yeah, and, and like you, you raise an interesting point in the sense that in times of war and crisis, it's normally the supply change that is cut out of the mm -hmm. whole process, whereas now it was the end customer. So it's a very weird scenario that we're living in. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So now, Fred, so Fred, um, lockdown came, you, you had to close. Well, first of all, you, you decided to close a bit ahead of time. How long were you closed without producing anything? What did you do during this time? And how did you feel? Because obviously this must have been a punch in the stomach, you know? I mean, yes. <laughs> I think fr frustration is probably the word that comes to mind. Uh, I think there was a lot of guilt as well, strangely enough, because you were home. 
and you felt like there was nothing you could do. And I felt like I had an obligation towards our, our, our customers, our staff, but also just to greenhouse where I really wanted this to survive. And, you know, when you, you put yourself blood, sweat and butter, as they say for chefs, right. Or blood, sweat and tears um, into your <laughs> project, you, you, you really want this to, uh, to go well. And, and, and it was taking off really well. And all of a sudden everything collapsed and, and I felt so powerless. Yeah. And so in the first week, it was actually very tough where, where I, I was lost. I was, I was just running around like a headless chicken, not knowing what to do, who to call, what, what everyone's in this situation. It's global. It's, it's how do we react to this? It takes a while for your head to get wrapped around this. Yeah. And so we, we decided to close. I, I think that was a decision that I've made with my, my future wife. And uh, we, we were aligned on that just to safeguard our employees and, and do the right thing, even though- Do you remember the next... day? Do you remember what day did you close? No, I mean, I remember the moments, but I'm very bad with dates. But I remember I was on the couch. <laughs> uh, I, was, I was having a coffee and, and I was like, honey, I'm, I'm really struggling to, to, to make the right call here. There's so many directions to go. And I, and I want to be able to look at myself in the mirror tomorrow. Like what, what's, how do we do this? And uh, we ended up talking for, for about an hour and a half or so. And decided it was, it was just better to close. It, it made more sense to, to close and, you know, cash in your chips and, and ensure that you're, you're keeping whatever you have as a small company to reopen when you know it's going to be 100% safe for everyone and when you know it's going to be relevant. So yeah, a little bit guilty, but at least kind of, I want to say soothed by the fact that we were making the right decision. And, and yeah. I knew that that was what was most important, even though there was a risk that we would have lost it all, essentially. Of course, of course. Well, so we I closed mean, for about two months. About two months. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And how... How did you communicate with your clients? Uh, also, uh, what what kind of relationship you had with your employees during this time? I mean, obviously, you took really good care of them, but how did you stay in touch and, you know, all of that process? Well, it was, to be honest, I think we reached out mostly through social media and uh, some of the emails that we have. But being a delivery-based restaurant, we're a virtual restaurant, the the, the the real way we communicate with our clients are mostly online. So we, we put all the notices up on our website. We communicated through social media. We had a, a bunch of like direct messages to check if we were open and we kindly explained the reason why we closed. And, and to be fair, I don't, I don't think that there was any frustrations on their end. I think everyone was very understanding of the situation. And um, we were also very happy to announce that we were opening again and we had a lot of excitement behind that. So super super happy um but we opened up as a different concept and and to answer the question kind of before we the last thing we wanted to do is turn this covid situation into something fruitless uh, we really wanted to turn this into a positive experience even though obviously it, it, it has disastrous effects on the economy and on people and families but we wanted to make sure that for a greenhouse it wasn't the end and so okay. we strategize and we came up with how are we going to be relevant tomorrow considering that covid is here to stay and that behaviors are shifting and that uh, probably everyone's going to try to go online tomorrow uh, with their restaurant and so we essentially re-looked at the entire concept from the ground up and renegotiated some of our supplier contracts we took the opportunity because obviously covid um it we had the time to essentially do it. We had them on the phone every day. So why not just go through, right? Why not just go through the essentials? And we reopened under uh, a different brand or reopened as a different concept. We, we opened a, a virtual restaurant or a virtual kitchen called Extraurants, which is essentially restaurants with experience, right? We uh -huh. want experience to be number one. And Greenhouse, is still greenhouse but became just one of the brands that we had created essentially during the lockdown we created four more additional brands that stands for very similar values but have a a different craving effect so okay you know, we, we did we did a little pasta we did a little um uh, sandwich concept uh, and just a variety of different concepts that 
really kind of go around the, the, the craving spectrum because we understand that not everyone wants salad every day. Yeah. Um, so we created a, a larger concept, including greenhouse, but, but more than that. And, um, and really took advantage of the COVID time to, I guess, put our, create, our, our creativity to work and open up better, stronger. And, and to be honest, we're super happy today to have done that. Yeah. Yeah. How, how, how did that work out for you? I mean, like, with the different concepts that you now have under restaurants. Well, it's amazing because it, it's something that I, I wanted to do for a long time. But the strategy was to grow greenhouse as much as possible because I loved this concept and I thought it was going to uh, do really well and, and we could expand quickly. Now with COVID, I, I think we don't know what people's expectations are and I, I, we don't know if they're going to go for brain food or, or super healthy or if they really want to dive into that niche or, or if they're more craving food that's made in a safe manner. So we decided to open up our portfolio a little bit, apply some of the principles that we believe in in terms of food and experience and delivery and uh, and people. And we created other brands and it's been going super well so far. Super, wow. super well. Well, I'm, I'm guessing that COVID, even though it was a, an unexpected blow, it kind of propelled some of the ideas that you had in the back burner, you know? So it yes. kind of... I would say COVID one, Fred one, maybe two even. <laughs> so yeah. Now shifting a little bit about the restaurants and the food, uh, let's go to the schemes that the government launched to help businesses. So the UK government, where we're well, where you operate and where I'm based, because you're now in Belgium, <laughs> um, yeah. they they launched several schemes to support small businesses. So did you or, or I mean greenhouse benefit from this? How did the scheme work? How do you access this help? Was it easy to get or was it super confusing? Like, can you walk me through that? I would tell you that it was very confusing. Um, mm. We benefited from, um, from a part of a scheme. Unfortunately, our employees did not. Um, we, we wanted to um, utilize the whole furlough scheme, uh, but our employees weren't eligible for that because of of when they were hired. So unfortunately we, we couldn't use that, but I think that was great for a lot of the hospitality businesses out there. Um, and then we had a, a small business loan that we wanted to take advantage of. And it took us, I think, I mean, we were closed for two months. It took us probably a month and a half to figure out how to get it. Because I think in the beginning, the government had, mentioned this to the, the central bank and the central bank's like, yeah, sure, all the banks, you got to put out the loans, but at your own risk. And the banks were like, uh, sure, we'll do it, but I will not promote this. Like, hmm. And I will make this extremely confusing and complicated. And so I think banks were, were kind of uh, had their back against the wall and, and, and didn't exactly know by putting out these loans, how many people would reimburse those and it would be a direct loss for them. So we had to wait until the government backed those loans at 100%. And that's where banks made it a lot easier to go in and get a hold of these loans that were, to be honest, a lifeline for many, many businesses. And we were lucky enough to uh, be able to benefit from one of these loans. And so uh, that really, really saved us essentially when when we decided to reopen. Cool. So aside from this uh, business loan that you got, what other kind of support did you get during this time, whether it be monetary like that loan or moral support, cheering from your clients, your fiance, family, what, what kind of support did you get in general? Well, I think obviously you, you your, your friends and family are always super supportive and I think that's great. And my fiance is, is, is my better half for, for very good reasons. Uh, mm. He has she has the horrible job of having to support me mentally, and and uh, she does an amazing <laughs> job at it. I, I don't know how she does it. Um, and apart from that, I think yeah, your your clients definitely cheer you up, and 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 a, a message that says "can't wait for you guys to reopen" goes a long way because it, it reminds you that what you're doing matters. Uh, and that you're making a small impact. And I think that that's always greatly rewarding. Um, and then we had uh, a little bit of crowdfunding going that um, 
that was really helpful as well to a degree because it it showed so much support in the sense that people uh i guess you felt helped out and people were interested in the cause and and i think we raised about 1.2 k uh in pounds and we were super grateful um so i i think people helped out as best they could and some companies allowed employees to go and and, and put put some money into some crowdfunding and um others were just clients giving you moral support but in the end everyone was extremely helpful there, there was um we were met with a lot of understanding even from our accountants and all these people like they were telling us don't worry if your bills are a little late like it's totally fine um we, we were super lucky i feel through this entire experience wow wow i, I got a little chills you know because it, it feels like you know sometimes you see all this bad news around i mean especially 2020 is just a headline of bad news uh <laughs> but when you hear these stories it's you see the good nature of people so everybody rallying up to to help each other so it's quite endearing and touching <laughs> gotta you tear up here <laughs> <laughs> i think it's interesting that that when something really um nasty happens something really important you forget about all your small problems and there's this um rallying of groups that this human rallying that i find extremely touching and and, and moving where I've never talked to my suppliers uh, or, or my clients or, or just people involved in this business as closely and as often than during COVID. And, uh, and everyone's kind of helping out to, figure, to, to help each other out, to be fair. It's like, what can I do to help you and vice versa? And let's go through this together. I, uh, I thought it was very humbling and I, I, I've been very grateful so far not to have any bad experience in terms of uh, do you think this has strengthened those business relations that you have? A hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. I, I, it's, uh, it's interesting because I, I think a lot of, um, a lot of companies have to change the way they do things. And, and, and some of the people that, um, some of the people, unfortunately in their jobs were made redundant or they changed accounts or, or people are on furlough and you have one person doing five things and so a lot of things have shifted but you keep calling the people that you know and even though it wasn't their job anymore because they were on a different account or whatever not they would still do it for you and i think mm -hmm. that's incredible because it shows that you're making human bonds more than anything else and you're not just mm -hmm. doing e-shopping and clicking on buttons and um, and, and I love that part of the business from, from suppliers to delivery drivers to whatever, like we knew, um, that we were going to get the quality. We knew that we were going to get, um, the best out of people. And I, I, I just love that about this business. And, uh, mm -hmm. even through COVID it's been, it's been like pretty great in that sense. How did you adapt during the time that you initially had to be locked down? So obviously you said you closed for two months, um, the first couple of weeks you were getting your head around it what happened then how do you, how did you adapt to that what what were you doing during that time well i started by shaving my head to be fair like <laughs> completely cone head yeah yeah like completely shaved my head uh Whoa. I, it was, yeah it was on my bucket list for a while and um i, I might need to I... see a photo of this <laughs> <laughs> i uh yeah i might advise against it but it, it was it was interesting <laughs> It all started with uh, uh, meaning to go to the hairdresser and then um, asking Nicole, my future wife, to uh, maybe buy some scissors and try it out. And she was very excited and it turned out to be a total disaster. Oh, don't um, blame her. You know what? I've tried cutting hair, not during lockdown, but in the past, and it's been disastrous. It's not as easy. So <laughs> kudos to any hairdresser that's out there listening, because you are an essential worker. We all needed you. And we discovered <laughs> that in lockdown for those that were not aware of. So yeah, that's how totally you ended up shaving a, your head. A true art in a science that, that I do not comprehend, unfortunately, <laughs> but rely on very badly. Yeah. Uh, but apart from that, um, I, I think um, I think it was very important for us to 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 build the next step. And, and I think the hard part was to we, we obviously had time because we were spending a lot of time at home. Uh, lockdown is the right word because you you, you only want to do one thing is to get out there and and help people and shake people's hands and just offer support. And it's 
it's very strange. You can't you can't touch him. You can't see him. It's like ugh, it's just a weird weird time. But um, but we decided to to ensure that when we reopened, we could do as much as possible. And and I think the biggest focus for me was to create work opportunity for for our employees. And so mm-hmm. for that, we had to reinvent ourselves a little bit. And um, and I think we did that very well. And there's currently a lot of interest for growth still we're talking to different companies for mergers and um we, we want to still continue with the ambitions that we had pre-covid but obviously we had to adapt from a safety perspective and and i think what was very important from that safety perspective is to uh, convince the person that was actually buying the product through delivery which you, know, you can't mm-hmm. see that person that we are doing everything we can to uh, adapt to COVID safety measures. And so we, we did a couple of things that, that for us was important. Obviously our environment's always been super clean and we reinforce some of the behaviors and, and, and we have the right chemicals and whatever not, but we also uh, give a, an alcohol wipe with every single dish that we put out because we understand that sometimes people deliver a, a bag and, and you're not in a position to wash your hands. So we wanna make sure people feel safe and. Wow, like that's a, such and, a neat touch. Some something super simple, but very thoughtful. I, I think it's it's those small things that that help people gain back trust in the hospitality industry, and and they we have the disadvantage that people can't see into our kitchens, mm-hmm. um, and we want to make sure that at least they can feel it on their end that we're doing our part. Yeah, of course, of course. Now, what was your staff's reaction when you said business as usual? We're going back. Uh, they were super happy. They were like, get me out of the house. <laughs> that was the main message, especially yeah. those with children. They were like, get me out of the house. Like, there's, <laughs> there's no school. I've never been in this position and I would love to get back to work. Oh my God. Yeah. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. <laughs> yes. Now, did anything change with the suppliers post opening? So obviously two months passed, you decide to reopen and you you mentioned that suppliers, you know, they were also um, you know short on people and whatnot. So, did you, what was the readjustment that you had to do? I think right now we're in a situation where a lot of people are still on furlough, and they've brought back the staff that they needed to operate at the levels they need to operate now. So, obviously, from a seasonality perspective, we are in August, and which is a very slow month, usually from a restaurant and delivery perspective in the UK or in London. Um, and a lot of people are banking on September to be a little bit more busy. Schools are back open, offices are back open, uh, at least a portion of the offices will get back to work. And so I think a lot of the suppliers are bringing slowly but surely people back from furlough, but I don't <laughs> think they'll be at full capacity, they'll think that they'll be able to bring back 50% of their staff. And the question remains, what's going to happen with the other 50%? Because the furlough scheme mm-hmm. goes down 10% a month starting in September. Um, so the cost goes up for, for these suppliers and these companies that have a lot of staff. And the question is going to be, will there be enough volume in the hospitality industry to sustain um, the amount of staff that they used to have? And if not, what's going to happen with these people? Um, but I think suppliers are now in a position to be selecting from their staff pool and, and getting back to enough staff to go and do the business that they need to do. I think I'm more concerned about what's going to happen to the staff they don't need. Uh, yeah. I think that'll create a lot of job opportunities in, um, in, in the near future. Of course. No, yeah, that's something... I wouldn't want to be on that end, absolutely. Um, now, some businesses in the U.S. started adding a COVID surcharge to all their orders. Mm-hmm. Have you changed any pricing after opening or applied anything similar? And what are your thoughts on that? We have not changed anything. Um, if anything, we created brands that are a little bit more... Um, I want to say sensible in terms of pricing because we understand greenhouse is a, a premium brand and has premium products and, and, um, and, and is not particularly open to everyone every day to have for lunch. Like we do understand mm-hmm. that. Um, 
So we created brands that, that are a little easier access to, to have every day. And so you can still have great ingredients every day. Um, but obviously pasta costs a little less than salmon, right? So yeah, th- of th- course. Um, we, we, we played around differently with every brand, but we, I think, overall lowered our pricing across the entire virtual concept that we have. Um, and I think surcharges are, are very tough. Uh, because I think they might be a massive deterrent for people to go back to the restaurants. I think people don't trust restaurants at this stage because it, it's a very awkward moment where mm-hmm. you, have to, you have to go back. You don't understand what's happening in the kitchen. You're in an open space with a lot of other people. You you might see a waiter picking his nose and it becomes a disaster. Like I, yeah. I think there's a, a massive trust factor that needs to be um won over by the restaurants that's number one and number two if you get people inside the last thing you want to do is frustrate them by adding surcharges here and there um so i think it might have a deterrent factor more than anything else unless it's a legal thing and everyone does it in 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 which case it doesn't make a difference but i think if if i had two restaurants in front of me and one gave me covid surcharge and the other one didn't i i'm not 100 percent sure that I would go for the one with the COVID surcharge. Now, I think it's, if it's framed differently though, um, we, to give you an example, we go to our neighborhood pub and we love the people there. And I think it's, it's very interesting to be able to support your local businesses. So what we did, uh, we, we essentially used a, a mentality that came from a campaign in Thailand which is uh, uh, not happy hour, but helping hour. So essentially oh. for, for one drink you order, you pay for two. So it's the other way around and it's to help support the business. So Whoa, we did that. I've, nev- I've never heard of that concept. That is genius. And that's so nice. I think it's a cool campaign. And, and the thing is, it's, it's totally voluntary. And, and I think it helps neighborhoods support neighborhoods and and you know if you're a part of a neighborhood you obviously want the restaurants and the shops to to survive there because it's part of the ambiance of your neighborhood and Mm -hmm. you can give whatever you want in the end you can give five pounds or two pounds or whatever you feel is either just or or necessary and and also what you can afford and i think that's much better than charging a surcharge which feels like somehow you're being charged something more for for during tough times, I just think it goes comes across the wrong way. Absolutely. Uh, to be honest, you, you just more eloquently said what I was thinking anyway about that COVID <laughs> surcharge when I first saw it. So, yeah. Now, um, I have two, oh, actually three more questions to wrap it up. So, first thing, how do you think the UK government handled the situation? I think that's a tough one. Um <sighs> I know it is a tough one. That's why I asked. <laughs> I think it's a tough one. I think, to be fair, it's very tough to judge. I think everyone did their best. I think the UK is a is a very conservative um, political environment where you have to go through many many hoops to make decisions. Right? It's it's a uh, it's very similar to Belgium, where to get things done, it's just very very tricky. So, I think things could have been done better from from certain standpoints, and I think. Uh, other things were done really well, uh, considering the circumstances. I, I keep thinking of, of Richie Sunak, poor guy who was just like literally put into position like a couple of weeks before COVID, was about mm. to make his first budget for the government. And then COVID hit and he was like, oh, Lord, what do I do now? And then <laughs> had to make 15 different budgets in like wartime that this guy literally the, the expression learning how to swim with sharks is is apt for him, I think. <laughs> uh, and I think he did really well considering the guy was new and I, I you know, it, it must be a, a massively tough thing to decide for an entire country's population given you know all the diversity and all the situations. Um, and then other decisions that I think are, 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 have been a little, you know, poorly taken or, or, or took into consideration, I think too much politics and not enough well-being. Uh, so okay. I, I give the example of, and again, hard to judge because I think between what's in the press and, and, and what really happened, there's always kind of a difference. But uh, mm-hmm. what I heard that the uh, they wanted to be a part of the, the EU scheme for, for PPE 
and masks and whatnot, and they refused because of Brexit. And so these, for me, are decisions that are politically based, where you want to yeah. take a stance and you want to, you know, social democrat this that. And I think during times of COVID, this should not matter. The well-being of your citizen and your political agenda should be put aside. At least yeah, there's so, one thing and there's the other, and they ha they don't have to mingle. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So what lessons did you get from this experience? Which is, I'm sure this is like even better than an MBA or something for you. <laughs> <laughs> Fast track MBA, two months for a pandemic or something. Well, I think it, it goes to show you never know. And, and it's a good reminder, right? There's, there's no such thing as a sure thing. Mm -hmm. And I also believe that uh, the, the values that we stood on in terms of how sustainably we build our business um, were the right ones. Because thanks to how we structured our business to start, which was to use freelancers and to um, you know, stand for particular food quality and this, all of that ultimately put us in a spot where we, we, we were able to react with a lot of agility and, and do the right thing. And I think um, I, if I had to do what we did or if i had to go back into pre-covid and face the same decisions that i was facing at the time i would make exactly the same decisions so stick to your gut i guess is the is the right lesson stick to what you believe in and if you don't survive you don't survive and and that's part of the game and you'll you'll adapt and you'll evolve and uh, i mean as a business right like not talking yeah. about healthier obviously uh, <laughs> But, but I think if you don't survive, you don't survive, but at least it's important to be able to look at yourself in the mirror and say that you've done the right thing and um, uh, versus I, I think doing the wrong thing and surviving at all costs and, and, and treating your employees or suppliers badly and, and burning bridges. I, I, I think what we did was right. I would do it again. And then the other thing I learned is human bonding, human uh companionship uh, and the need that we have for social togetherness is massive. I totally underestimated that. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I think that's probably the biggest lesson from a, a moral perspective or philosophically is we need humans badly. And Crazy. from a hairdressing perspective, would you go bald again? <laughs> Less so I would totally you know. <laughs> go bald again. Totally go bald again. Yeah. No, I, I, I've experienced wind on my head for the first time, and it was magnificent. Uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't wow. say it was the most stylish option. Uh, and But um, my my again, my better half said, as long as you are with hair for the wedding, we're, we're okay. So <laughs> okay, good. I've, do, I've done my thing. I, it's over You're now. Good. Now, last question. With with COVID, remote kitchens have surged. Does this reinforce anything about the business model that you started with? I mean, you already said that you were doing the right thing, but now I don't know if you ever uh, played with the idea of having a, a, a customer-facing greenhouse or any of the ex-restaurants. Now with COVID, does this do anything for the business model that you chose? I think it reinforces the fact that we we were doing the right thing. So uh, pre-COVID, I think virtual kitchens were always this this rarity and this niche, and, and people didn't really understand what it was. And, and I still probably still don't. I think it's still a confusing concept for, in, in many ways. But post-COVID, 100%, I'm sure that virtual kitchens will play a massive role in today's and tomorrow's economy. I'm totally convinced. And it gives us a competitive advantage because we've been at it for a little while. Mm -hmm. What opportunities will lie for the future in terms of creating more brick and mortar presence? Um, I'm not close to it. I, I, I think there's massive value in having brick and mortar. I, I think it's great because it's part of a, a neighborhood and it's something you can interact with humans. And, and, and that's just always way more interesting than doing delivery. Um, but it's a, just a different business, I guess. So we're mm -hmm. actually looking at hybrids. We're looking at uh, virtual kitchens that have a sort of a, a front area where you can discover what virtual kitchens are. You can order from there and pick up from there. Um, and there, there's a whole plan for us to do a lot of brand interaction. 
but mm -hmm. I, I, I do think it will not be a massive restaurant with 200 seats. I think it'll be more no. uh, a, a new version of what restaurants and virtual kitchens need to be. And I think we'll, we'll come up with a model that we feel is cool and hopefully it'll come across as, as, as intended. Amazing. Well, Fred, thank you so much for all of these insights. I mean, thank you. Absolutely. I absolutely love talking to you and learning what's behind the scene of navigating COVID from a business perspective. Now, before closing, I have three rapid fire questions. Okay. So I'm going to ask you and you just answer the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Sounds good. Cool. So the first question is COVID-19 in a word tough okay fair enough yes uh now what have you learned during this time patience i feel covid really there's this moment there's these moments in life that i hate and i call them the uh the the, the doctor's waiting room where <laughs> something really big is about to happen and there's absolutely nothing you can do then wait in the damn room right you're, you're okay. waiting for the doctor to give you either horrible news or great news and the emotional impact of that news is obviously massive and there's nothing you can do but wait and, and i hate these moments and i think covid was one of these moments where there's not much you could do right you could do a lot for yourself and your direct family and but it, it's just so tough to be powerless um, so that's mm -hmm. a, it's a, a big lesson that you get is uh you patience, right? You have to cool. just bite your time a little bit. Cool. And then last question, what is the first thing you'll do after this situation is over? Travel. I guess we are all traveling. <laughs> travel, travel. I, I will, I will, we will travel probably to Venezuela where, where my better half is from and, uh, and see her parents, which we've been waiting for for a long time. But uh, so we're waiting for borders to open up again and yeah aren't we all fred aren't we oh, all yes. <laughs> yeah. well again thank you very much guys this is with fred jansen from greenhouse and this is laura uh, your host speaking from london this is notes from covid uh, thank you so much until next time